Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Miami Total Football Radio, your number one inter-Miami-focused podcast that provides you with all the latest news, updates, analysis, inside information, general punditry, and much, much more. We are back after a busy few days in which Inter-Miami played two games. So this pod, we will have a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. This pod also goes by the name of Miami Total Football Radio, and we are very happy that we have the opportunity to talk about not one, not two, but three games on this pod, because we will also be previewing the upcoming match against New York City FC at Yankee Stadium. Yes, you heard that correct. There will be a soccer game at a baseball stadium this weekend for Inter. Miami. My name is Franco Panizo. I am one-third of your hosting team this week. Joining me are two other of the regular members of Miami Total Football Radio. They both now have shirts to represent the team. We're, of course, talking about Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose, and Steve and Primo Brenner. Let's start with Steve. How are you doing after a couple of days post-Barcelona friendly? Yeah, not too bad. Sat here in my Miami Total Football Radio t-shirt. Um, <laughs> it's very, very nice. I must admit, it fits nicely. Just If anyone wants them, the, the merch the merch lists are on the way, aren't they? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have I have a box full of them, and I plan to Swag. give some away. Um, I mean, you, you've already kind of shed some light into what it is. It's a, it's a pink shirt. Uh, I want to nice. say it's I like it. Yeah, I do like you? It. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. I can imagine Gonzalo Higuain just chilling out in South Beach wearing this, you know, just <laughs> sipping a mocha or something like that. You know, I can see it. Why not? Why not? I was going to say, it's not a bright shade of pink, but it's not a dark shade of pink. I think it's a pretty, I don't know how to, it's not an electric shade of pink. It's like a it's normal shade pink. of pink. Yeah, yes. it's nice. It's traditional pink. And it has it's a Miami nice. Total football logo on the left part of the chest and a bigger Miami Total football logo on the back. So we will be giving some of those away in the coming weeks on the coming pods. Yeah, no, it's, it was it was fun covering Barcelona for those three days. They announced uh, Lewandowski joined up with the team in Miami. So there was an unveiling. So, um, yeah, just like you just get an appreciation of what a big club they are and what a crazy club they must be to follow. Because, um, yeah, billion, a one billion euro in debt. But yeah, just signed Lewandowski for 50 million. He spent 56 million on Rafinha. Um, yeah. So, uh, but interesting all the same. And you were the one member of this Miami Total Football Radio team to go to his introductory photo op because it wasn't even a press conference. Am I right? It was what well, it wasn't. I went the day before, and to be found out, it got postponed. That was at the Barcelona Academy down in Miami Gardens. They share it with a high school. I'd never, I'd never been there before, but anyway, that was cancelled. And then went down to the Conrad Hotel where the team was staying, but it was all super. Super, like, a lot of security there. You had to go into, like, a holding pen for the media before you went in. Um, and you went right to the top of the comrade. Yeah, and Lewandowski and John Laporta, who's the president of Barcelona, they announced him. And, um, you know, they had a few words. And that was it, really. Then he, he buggered off. We didn't even get a chance to interview him. We were all just sweating our asses off. <laughs> Everyone's shirts were dripping wet. We were absolutely soaked by the end of it. And then I couldn't even sit, stand up, sit up the top. I had to file my story. Um, and I had to go downstairs and even, even then I was then said you're in a restricted area can you move over again to into the main lobby so Barcelona completely took over the hotel 
Um, but I did my story in the end and got paid, and that's the main thing. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, we're glad that you represented for us in a non-press conference press conference. Jose Armando, I know you're chomping at the bit for this week's pod because we have quite a bit to sink our teeth into. But first, how are you doing? I imagine you are not as sweaty and much cooler than Steve Brenner was this week. Uh, definitely not. But I, I, I did enjoy um, covering the game. Um, for me, it was more um, Inter-Miami related. Uh, um, I did a couple stands for Honduran TV. And, um, yeah, but it was just overall a great experience once again. For the first time in, in, in Dry Pink, which is something new and something to accommodate because we're used to having the big names come to South Florida, but it's usually a, a bigger place in, in Hard Rock. And, you know, it's, 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 I think it's, it's fresh. It's, it's good to have a new venue, and um, I was happy to see the stadium full. Um, I did want it to see more Inter-Miami jerseys. That was not the case. But um, still, I think overall a great experience. And now I'm moving on because um, Olympia from Honduras is coming over for a friendly match on Friday. And so I'm on to, I keep on going with uh, friendly matches before the Miami, uh, Inter-Miami game on, on Saturday. So it's, it's an exciting week. So everyone's very, very busy. Okay, well, this show will be very, very busy because, again, we have three games to talk about. But we will start with FC Barcelona and all that went into it before during and after, including Phil Neville saying in the pregame press conference that this was the biggest game in Inter-Miami history. We will dive into whether we think that's the case or not. We will dive into the performance. And, of course, like I said before, this past weekend's victory over Charlotte FC and the upcoming match against New York City FC. So, a lot to talk about. Let's not waste any more time. And let's get to it. Okay, guys, so we will start with FC Barcelona, the opponent that Inter Miami most recently had in the Tuesday night friendly at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, a sold-out Drive Pink Stadium, the first time that that has happened since, well, for an Inter, for an Inter Miami game since the club started back in 2020. Now... Before we dive into the game and the lineup and the goal scores and everything that happened inside the green rectangle, we have to start, I think, with what was said before the game. And as I just mentioned about a minute or so ago, Phil Neville called it the biggest game in club history. He actually had said that a week or so prior. He had gotten some a little bit of backlash for that, but he doubled down on Monday during the pregame press conference and said this was the biggest game in club history. He went into the reasons why he thought so, including that there'd be a lot of eyeballs around the world on it, the amount of media that was in attendance, the level of the opponent the, of the club, the opposing club that, that was being brought in, the stature, etc., etc. I will start with Primo. Take the result aside, take the, the game aside, that we saw, because I know we, we actually had a discussion about this very quick, a quick powwow there in the press conference room after, after Phil Neville spoke. Do you think this was the biggest game in Inter-Miami history? Yes or no? 
it was the most high-profile game in in the history. I don't know how it depends how you quantify the word big, doesn't it? I mean, I guess when they lost in the playoff match against that that one match against Nashville, that was probably the biggest game in the history because that's the furthest they've they've got thus far. So, um, but it was definitely the most biggest, most high-profile, biggest event, first sellout. I mean, that you can't discount that, and I don't think you know shouldn't. It's true. It's true. But yeah, from a footballing side, it's it's not, is it? But from a general club perspective and aspect, I guess it is. Is Diplomatic Primo back? Because last week we had Feisty Primo. Now we've got Diplomatic Primo where he doesn't that's answer. The truth, he doesn't. Though, that's he, the truth. But you're not answering the question. You're not answering the question directly. You just gave me a roundabout answer where you're like, "Oh, this." You sound like a politician. Was this the biggest game in Inter Miami history? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, I literally could have sworn you just said no, but okay, now you're saying well, yes. Okay, it just depends, doesn't it? <laughs> you can look at it for both. You can look at it both both ways. You should I run. You should run for local local uh, office, brother, because I think you will get far with your. Why would you do that answers. to him? No, <laughs> he'll get far with his non-answer answers, and, may, and maybe he'll make. It's a, always going to be oh. a big event when, when a club like Barcelona, which we found out, we, we know is very big, but even for us journalists working, you get an, an appreciation of what a crazy club it must be. But that, that's not the, that's not we're not talking about Barcelona. We're talking about whether this is the biggest game in Miami history. Yes or so, no? In I don't. I don't regard, know. I don't know what your answer is. God. Because you that you know that was just the impression you get from Barcelona. Yeah, I mean it, it did feel like the biggest event so far. But then getting the, the we're not talking about an event. event. We're talking about a game, game, biggest game. And this is wild to me because I'm going to share this with the listeners. Primo well, on Monday in the press conference room was like, "It's not the biggest no, game." Was it and, the big? Okay, is it no? Was it the biggest game? No. Then in that in that regard, no, <laughs> no. All right, so he's flipping back and forth like a light switch. Jose, is this was this the biggest game in Inter Miami's short history? Yes, absolutely, without a doubt. They haven't faced a team not even close to Barcelona. The play-in game for me is not even a playoff game, and um, if that is considered to be the most important game, they did not even win that game. So they were basically competing for uh, made-up position because it was the pandemic year. So, no, that's that's not even part of the question. It doesn't even compare to facing Barcelona. Obviously, you missed on an opportunity with the result, but this is what I thought before the game, and I still think the same thing after the game. It's, it's, the, it's the biggest game. No doubt about it. I'm with Phil right here. I can vouch for Jose that he did say that before the game was played. He did think this was the biggest game in team history. Primo did not. And Primo still does not, I think. But Jose, yeah. obviously, <laughs> Jose still thinks it is. Okay, I said this before the game, and I reiterate it now. My opinion has not changed since Monday, just because we saw the game on Tuesday, and we saw a sold-out crowd and all the ambiance and all that. I, don't, I do not think this is the most important game in club history, or excuse me, the biggest game in club history, because it doesn't mean anything. There's nothing at stake. Inter Miami, I know, Jose, we've debated about this in person. I'm sure you're going to rebuttal here. Inter Miami, by the letter of the law in MLS, technically speaking, had a playoff game in 2020. And they lost 3-0. It wasn't a good showing. But result aside, that was the biggest game to date in the club's short history. Because if they had won, 
They moved on to the next round of the playoffs, and they could have kept going had they won. There was something at stake could have, there. Have. Okay, yeah. but there was something at stake there. There was something on the line. Now, because they lost 3-0, it might be easy to dismiss it, but that was the biggest game in the two and a half seasons that Inter-Miami has had. If you, if, you want to go with, here, if you want to go listen. for a more positive game, you could go for the game before that. If you wanted to look for a positive result, if that's part of your biggest game in club in club history formula, it would be the game before that when they played, I, I believe, FC Cincinnati in that regular season finale where they had to win and get so some the, outside results to make it into the play-in game, which is still a play-off game by MLS's standards. So, so, you know, you so how about that. winning the Carolina Challenge Cup? Is that the biggest game? No, for the second it's biggest a pre, it's game a pre, because they no, were playing a for a for a trophy for a preseason tr- trophy. Is that the case? Listen, the, the the bottom line here with with this situation is that Inter Miami is a young team, and so when you face Barcelona, even teams with a hundred years, they haven't been able to play Barcelona. Inter Miami gets to play Barcelona in their third year. That's a big deal. Listen, if this year they make a good run in the playoffs and they win the championship, yes, that would be better than that would be higher on the list than facing Barcelona. But unfortunately, the team is off to a horrible start. So um, I don't know if it's off to a horrible just, start. It's not a horrible start. They're not in last place in the Eastern Conference. Are you kidding me? The expectations about Inter Miami were not for them to fight for the last. Oh, okay, okay. Spot you, you, mean, you mean as a you mean as a, as a franchise, as an organization? Okay, yeah, okay, as okay. a franchise as a whole, they are off. They are not matching the expectations, and, and that's why facing Barcelona is a big deal because it's a club. So I mean, time will tell how high they can go, and if and if facing Barcelona is not a big deal in two years, man, that'll be great. That'll Close be great. It. But as of right now. It's it not is. a small club profile, though, is it? It's not a small. The profile of the club is not that small. Right, 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 right. But Jose, hold on. I, I have a question for you. And look, I respect your opinion. I respect Primo's opinion, whether I agree or disagree. And I'm not here to convince you or any listeners otherwise. I'm just sharing my opinion, but I do have a question for you and in your argument. Because I know you're a football person. You are a soccer person. Inter-Miami versus Barcelona. A lot of eyeballs, a lot of butts in seats, people tuning in from all over the world. Was this game done for sporting reasons primarily or for business reasons primarily, in your opinion? Business reasons. Okay, so then there's no way, in in my mind, that a game that's done for business reasons where the sporting aspect is second or, or third on the totem pole where that can be the biggest game in your franchise's history. And I think, listen, I think, listen, Phil Neville's a great talker. And Phil Neville, as we know, gives you a good bit. Anytime you talk to Phil Neville in a press conference or in an interview, he gives you a good bit of stuff to chew on, right? Whether it's information, things to read between the lines, he gives you a good bit. I think in this situation, my personal opinion, he was just being a good soldier for Inter-Miami. He was just another person trying to drum up interest and help sell the the friendly that was Inter-Miami versus Barcelona to the general public and talk about how important it is and how big time of a game it is. I think he was just but being a, a club, good a soldier. Employee, though, isn't he? 100%. 100%. Not, yeah. So I don't, I don't blame him for trying to drum up interest because that's what this friendly was about clearly it was about drumming up interest getting people to to watch it either in the stadium or 
wherever they were in their homes across the world. So no, no problem with him trying to help create and generate a buzz. I don't agree with the statement and I think that he could have done I think he could have done the same thing without delivering that message and putting himself under the the microscope as he did by saying it in that way but nonetheless I think he was just selling the 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 company line that this was a a, a very important game. I don't think he actually believes that. I think look, it's Barcelona, they'll they'll take some things away from the, from the experience, but they know that there's nothing at stake. He knew that. He changed the lineup uh, almost completely at halftime. And you don't do that if it's the most important game in your club history. Was it the most watched game? Was it the game that drew drew the most interest from across the world? Probably. I don't have those metrics. I imagine it's probably up there somewhere, uh, if not at the very, very top, because of the level of Franco, the opponent. But, but that had, doesn't make it the most have... important game in franchise history. They haven't had the chance to compete for a title. I mean, they are not even close to that. Jose, they were so in a playoff game. The reasoning behind this being the biggest game is because they just haven't done I mean, this will not be the biggest game just because it's Barcelona for the rest of the time. I didn't say it would. I didn't say it would. It will not be the case. It will not be the case. Haven't won anything, and so that's so why you don't have they're to just win getting something started. for it to be an important game, Jose. You don't have to win. You don't have to have won it for it to be an important game, Jose. I'd say this. I'd say this. Inter Miami versus Miami FC was a bigger game in the U.S. Open Cup this year than Inter Miami versus Barcelona because it means something. This doesn't mean anything. But again, well, I'm not going to change your mind, and I don't think you're going to change mine. We can respectfully agree to disagree. I just don't think that 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 that's that that was. A, being honest, I think that was just a marketing talking point. But let's move on to the actual game. Because otherwise, we'll, we'll just argue and debate about that nonstop. Inter-Miami loses 6-0. to Loses 6-0. to And there were six different goal scorers for Barcelona in this one. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the 19th minute. Rafinha in the 25th. Ansu Fati in the 41st. Gavi in the 55th. Memphis Depay with a sick turn and finish in the 69th. And then Usman Dembele caps the scoring a minute later in the 70th. This was Inter-Miami's starting lineup. We'll say it was a 4-2-3-1. Nick Marsman makes his first appearance since recovering from his injury. He started in goal. DeAndre Yedlin, Damian Lowe, Amema Bika, and Kieran Gibbs comprised the back four. Your double pivot in the midfield were Victor Ulloa and Gregory. Your second line of the midfield were Bryce Duke, Alejandro Pozuelo, Indiana Vasilev, and up top starting was Gonzalo Higuain. So, quickly going back to El Primo, what is the biggest takeaway you can take, or what was the biggest takeaway you had from the game itself? The rectangle, nothing about the outside, nothing about the... The, the sold-out environment or the atmosphere, just the actual field. What did you take away from this game? Uh, the Barcelona were really, really good. <laughs> no, Inter-Miami Inter just couldn't cope. I mean, look, we got to, you got to put into context that this was an excellent Barcelona team. Now, Rafinha making his debut, Andreas Christensen in the back from Chelsea, Fatty, uh, you know, they were all good at Bamiang when he came on, Memphis Depay. I mean, you know, they have got... Frankie Dion playing a centre half um, in the in the second half just was was quality. Gavi was also good. 
I mean, you know, they they just they were just a, a level above. I, I just I th- one, I think, just one, just one. No, there were many levels above. It was like a it was like a Premier League team taking on a team maybe like two two divisions below or something like that. Just, uh, but I think Barcelona took the game seriously and they really really played and they just Inter Miami just couldn't cope, couldn't deal with them. They did, you know, the way they held on to the ball and then they, they were tacked so quickly. Um, they, you know, they were just way too good for them, for them up front in midfield. They had the, the creativity of Rafinha, two assists and a goal in, in the first half. Um, they were just better. I was just, yeah, I thought Inter Miami may have, may have done better, to be fair, and at least maybe, you know, right. put some concise sort of attacking uh, plays into, into force, but they just didn't get a sniff at all. It was completely outclassed. Um, so it was... But still, and it was interesting. Actually, DeAndre Yedlin afterwards said that the mistakes that we that we make in MLS were exposed even more against a team like Barcelona, and that's shown us exactly what, what we what we need to do. So, um, you know, it was definitely a, a, a very steep learning curve for some of those players. Bronichi, Bryce Duke, chase around, you know, Sergio Busquets or Gavi or those guys. You know, they just couldn't lay a finger on them. But it was good to see. From a Barcelona perspective, anyway. <laughs> Speaking of Barcelona perspective, before we get Jose's thoughts, there were obviously there was obviously a lot of Spanish media from Spain in the press box, and one of the things we saw while we were while we were waiting for the game to kick off because we got there early, knowing that it would be pandemonium to get in, we saw one crack open a Modelo beer in the middle of the press box, something we don't normally yeah. <laughs> see when uh, when we're covering MLS games. It's uh, I guess that's that's frowned upon in uh, MLS circles, but maybe in Spain it's it's you know culturally acceptable to crack open a beer in the press box. I don't know if it is or not, but if, well, it, if it's someone, not, he just did it anyway. <laughs> some of them actually clapped, didn't they, after one of the goals as well, which is yeah. absolutely a no. That is a, that is a red card defense in the, in the press box should be anyway. In you don't the, clap yeah. goals. Yeah, so you know, so for listeners there that might not be aware or might not be familiar with press box etiquette in the United States. Um, yeah, Take cheering. off the United States, ever, che- anywhere, it doesn't matter. No, 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 see, I don't agree with that, because if you go to Latin America, like, those, the, the, the press is definitely rooting and celebrating for their team or their country. It shouldn't happen, it shouldn't happen, period, so there you go. Well, you're English, of course you're going to say that, and I, listen, I don't disagree with you, <laughs> I don't disagree with you, but, like, if you, you know, if you go to different parts of the world... No, just, you're not a fan, just... though, you're not a fan, are you? Are you a journalist, you're not a fan. So, again, we're, we're getting sidetracked here, but, like, you know, for example, in Argentina, when Argentina's national team is playing a World Cup qualifier against Brazil, those Argentines are going to clap and celebrate if they see Leo Messi score a goal. They're not going to just sure. sit there. Like, it's, it's with – so, no, it's that. just it's just culturally that. different. That's all. That's all. And, I listen, I still I, – I agree with you. Oh, you know, this, I was was ra- Barcelona. this was a club team as well, wasn't it? So, it's a little bit different than the national but it's, team. But it's – a club team is still part of their community. And, again, I agree with you because I, because I was, you know, raised in the professional environment here that you shouldn't clap. But I understand why people do it or why, you know – in their countries or in their cities, it's not it's not seen the same way it's seen here. So anyway, all right, Jose, biggest takeaway from this game? Well, I think the speed of the game, um, I mean, you know that, you know, um, Barcelona plays at a higher level, but uh, the one thing that caught my attention is, you know, how fast they move the ball mm. and uh, how effective they are doing it. It's different from what we see here in MLS because – uh, players like to run with the ball here, and they run and run and run up and down the field, and and it, it's a physical game here, and it takes a lot. Uh, it takes a toll on the body, but it it seems like uh, Barcelona was playing a different style, and they decided 
no, no, no. We're not going to run. We're going to move the ball around. And whenever they needed to uh, counterattack, if they had an opportunity, they tried to do so. But that was not the norm throughout the full 90 minutes. So, you know, just a different style. Um, it, it, and, and I think I talked um, about this with you, Franco, after the, the game. The one thing that caught my attention on a positive, I'm going to be a positive here, on a positive side to start, um, it was Bryce Duke. Bryce Duke, I thought his reaction to the speed of the game, the adjustment was a, a very good one from him. Um, one of the few players that knew exactly how to react. And, and I thought there was just the instinct. You know, he's, he, you can tell that he's going to be a very good player because he can adjust, adjust to, to that speed of play, which is something that some other of, of uh, the rest of the team honestly struggle with. So, um, obviously, a bright spot because, you know, with Bryce Duke so young with not a lot of experience, he's able to adjust uh, to that level, then that's a very good sign for Inter-Miami. And um, on the negative side, I guess Inter-Miami, they missed a chance here, right? Because, you know, globally, Inter-Miami is David Beckham's team or um, the future home for Lionel Messi. Those are the two things. So, you had an opportunity to show something else. Um, I don't know, maybe that you are a good soccer team and, and not just uh, the target of rumors, that you have something else other than, other than being David Beckham's team and, 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 and Lionel Messi, Lionel Messi, sorry, uh, future team. So I think they missed that shot. They missed that shot because what they showed on the field is it's not good enough. And I think you can see it on the reaction, not only from Inter-Miami fans, but from fans as a whole, even Barcelona fans. Um, I mean, it's 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 not good. It's not good. Well, we will get there in just a moment. So my biggest takeaway goes kind of hand in hand with yours, but it's more from an Inter-Miami perspective. And I was slightly surprised that Inter-Miami was so uncompetitive in this game. Now, I did not expect Inter-Miami to win this game. But I thought that they, in midseason, against a team that is at the beginning of their preseason, playing in the first game of their preseason, after, what, two days of practice in South Florida to start their preseason, I thought Inter-Miami would have put up more of a fight. And they did not. At all. At all. They were outshot 23-1. Lost the possession battle 66-34. That part, you know, possession-wise, I expected Barcelona to have that. So that doesn't... That doesn't bother me. That doesn't surprise me. But the 23 shots to 1, and how how uncompetitive the team was on the field, how effortlessly a Barcelona team that's still shaking off their... Their summer cobwebs, their off-season cobwebs, looked against Inter Miami, and these are these are just friendlies. Yes, and they don't mean anything. The end result doesn't mean anything, but the performance in it means a little bit more for me. And the performance Inter Miami put forth was awful, awful, awful. It was another dent in the team's reputation, and I wrote about that on Miami Total Football Substack. If you care to read the column. You can. I mean, it's going to be... I mean, I'm not going to touch on everything here. But I do think that it was for the short-term PR boost that they got from all the eyeballs that watched. They hurt themselves in, in the longer run. Because guess what? What is the impression that Spanish media that was in the press box or that was watching across the world 
What's their impression of Inter-Miami? That they're awful. What's the impression of all the other fans around the world that are tuning into an Inter-Miami game for the first time? That Inter-Miami is awful. So I think Inter-Miami hurt themselves more than they helped themselves with this game because of the performance put forth. Because anytime you lose 6-0 and it's a professional, that's clearly, clearly, clearly not good enough. Doesn't matter who you're playing, 6-0 is, is a big, big loss. And you could look at other friendlies that were played on Wednesday night between other MLS teams and other European clubs and other MLS teams put up more of a fight. Some of them even won their games. And again, I'm not asking, I'm not asking to remind me to beat Barcelona, but put up more of a fight, man. Put up more but of a fight. Was comp- I think it was pretty competitive. Like, all these games in the last week have been competitive. Minnesota beat Everton 4-0. Uh, last night, and then also I, I covered uh, Man City on the TV against Club America. That was that was pretty fun. That finished two one. That finished two one in in yeah. Man City's favor. But this five game finished six zero. United six two, didn't they? So Primo, this game finished six zero, six zero, and and Inter Miami got one shot. Up. Fine with five nil up against DC United at one point, and they won. won six two they the won six to two. So at least DC United gave their fans two goals to cheer about. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Inter Miami didn't. Inter Miami put one shot, took one shot, and it was in the like, it was the so tenth. much better, man. They were so much better. They, 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 that's that's exactly how much better the team is than, than if, you're t- right if, now, you're, if you're telling me it's Barcelona. If you're telling me that Inter Miami can't put up a better fight than that, if that's if that's what you're saying that is acceptable, th- then I mean, I'm not saying it's acceptable. I'm saying it's understandable because it was Barcelona. Look at the team. Look at the team Absolutely. they had. You yeah. you could you again one team's in, this it's not like both of these teams are in equal terms not only in terms of the 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 salary the salaries that are put into the roster we're talking about their their present their current present Inter Miami's in mid season form Barcelona the players have just come back in from being well, on the beach taking whatever. a break I mean they look good that that's, that just shows they're good players because they look good to me definitely they look, and Inter Miami and Inter Miami looked. Bad. Inter Miami looked. Yeah, yeah. They they were effortlessly danced around. They were taking. They were lo, lo bailaron. Yes or no, Jose? Was, lo bailaron. Was, they were taken for a dance because they could not get the ball. They could not do anything with the ball when they had it. And I will right. say this about Barcelona. I will say this about Barcelona because they they came out with an intensity that I was surprised to see for a preseason game and their first preseason game because they came out pushing seven. Eight numbers into the box at times. They they were not letting up on Inter Miami at all. They were letting them have it. They were they they came out sniffing uh, or looking for blood from the start, and they they got it with three goals in the first half, and then three goals in the second half. I think in the final after the sixth goal after Dembele scored, then I think you saw Barcelona uh, take the foot off the pedal a little bit. I'm not going to say completely, but a little bit because then they started attacking with. Three to four, as opposed to six, seven, and sometimes eight. But again, listen. Again, I don't think Inter Miami should have won this game. I, I wouldn't. I would never say Inter Miami on paper should beat Barcelona. But I thought they would have put up more of a fight. I thought you could have seen a little bit more from the team that's in midseason form, whether they're in MLS or not. Because again, you just touched on some of the other games, Primo, and those games were competitive. This game was not competitive, and I don't know how you can say that it was competitive with. The not only the scoreline but they the performance in trying into Miami they didn't stop trying. Okay, think. but that doesn't okay. that doesn't make the game competitive. The game's competitive from the run of play. That, they're they, outclassed. They were they were definitely definitely outclassed. Jose, this is where I know you've been 
Well, this is what I know you've been waiting for. This is the time, your time to shine. Because obviously we're talking about the game, the result, etc. Does the result matter? We talked about that on the podcast oof, weeks ago, months ago, when this friendly was announced. And you said if they get blown out at a certain point, yes, it matters. I said, no, it does not matter. I will concede the point. I will concede the point to you that I change my opinion. And I will say that you were right on this one. Because, and yes, it's Barcelona and whatever you want. This scoreline to me is embarrassing. It's embarrassing. If I I were an Inter-Miami fan, if I were an Inter-Miami employee, if I were an Inter-Miami player, a competitor, which is what all professional athletes are... I would be embarrassed to lose 6-0 against Barcelona. That's that's just me, though. That's just me. Okay, so, Jose, does the result matter? And is this was this game an embarrassing exhibition for the team, in your opinion? Yeah, I think I, I think you listened to the pod. I think, was it in, was it in March? At what time it, what was it? Maybe no, I think March. It was, I think it was May. I don't think it was that far back. Yeah, May. Um, yeah, I went back and listened, and... Um, and yeah, my thoughts remain the same because at that point I said, um, if it's an extreme result, then it matters. And, and I categorized extreme as a, an Inter Miami win or a blowout, which is exa- exactly what happened. And um, and yeah, I think I think it matters because of of the reasons that you were just talking about, right? Because unfortunately, most of the fans will think about this match years from now as a 6-0 and even forget about the performance, right? They will forget about the performance. They'll think it's 6-0, so that's that's enough. Don't tell me anymore. It's 6-0. And, and that's the way it is. That's the way it is. People around the world will see 6-0. I was doing an interview um, yesterday, and um, they asked me about Inter-Miami, and um, they told me, is, 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 are they really that bad? And right, so right. that's that's the sense that people are getting right now from right. from Inter Miami, and that's why the result matters because not everybody's going to go down into um, analyzing what they did and and why they ended up losing by six goals. They're going to f- see the result and that and and that's it. And and you know, going back a little bit to to what you you guys were mentioning before, I thought you know there were two things that. Um, we cannot blame Inter Miami for. I, th- I thought they they did put an effort, and um, I'm not saying they didn't try. Of, they tried, but it they just it wasn't effort. it wasn't good enough. It was not good enough. They did put an effort, and you know if we go through tactics, I don't think Phil could have done any better. I mean, I think he did a good job managing the game. They were just not at that level. They're no, I good. see there there, and I don't yeah. want to blame. I don't want to put it on Phil Neville, but like I think the tactically, I think any everything could have been the better physically, tactically, technically. Um, all aspects of the game, I think Inter Miami could have done better. Not much better, but I think they could have done better. If you're telling me that Inter Miami, the best they can do is a six to zero defeat to Barcelona in a friendly, then I would, oh, dis- yes. I would, I would disagree with. Yes. That. I would disagree. With and that. let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Inter Miami is not the only team in the world that go through the same scenario and and end up and end up losing six zero to Barcelona. There are so many teams in the world. There are quite a few teams. That can win against Barcelona. So, listen, 
again, it's a process for Inter Miami. And I think they're very far from Barcelona. Of very, course, very of far. course, Jose. I'm not again. I'm not saying Inter Miami should have won this game. Or unexpected. it's not completely unexpected. The only thing that you could have asked from this team is that they put out the effort and they didn't do something crazy with tactics. You know, being overly aggressive, for example. You know, playing with three strikers and stuff like that. Then I would blame Phil because you know he thought. Well, I would say he, he was crazy thinking that he can win against Barcelona. And yes. Losing 6-0 is on him. No, they were defensive-minded. I mean, they, they couldn't pass. So, so, this, that, so that's, wait, hold on, hold on, Jose. No, 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 because they were defensive-minded. They were defensive-minded without ever, no, without ever being intense in their defensive proposition because they just stayed in a block, barely ever pressed the, the, ball, the ball carriers, and guess what happened? Barcelona would give them time and space. They're going to knock it around. They're going to find the spaces. They're going to find the open man. They're going to make the runs into the open space. And they're just going to knock it around you as easily as they did. And they're going to carve you open, which is what happened in this one. Now, again, if so Inter Miami, Inter -Miami it, can press Barcelona, honestly, Franco, come on now. They could have so they, they, they done, done a little more. They could have done a little more. They could have, again, I don't think 6 0 is, is Inter Miami's. Best effort against Barcelona. I can't. I, I mean, if that's Inter Miami's best effort against Barcelona, then wow, Inter Miami is in a world of trouble. But I, I'll go back to the point, and before we switch to El Primo, because I, I do want to hear his thoughts on that. I want to emphasize something you said, and I agree with that, which is why I do. I have changed my my tune, and I do think the result matters to an extent. Because listen, anytime you compete the result matters slightly to an extent, slightly, no matter when you compete. Right? Might not be the most important thing, but anytime you compete, the result matters to an extent, to some level of degree. Now, Inter Miami is sanctioned. They don't have a full deck of cards. We know this because we cover the team. Inter Miami fans listening to this podcast might know that because they follow the team closely. But a lot of people that are tuning in for the very first time, be it at Drive Pink Stadium or be it across anywhere in the world, they don't know that. They just see 11 guys in pink jerseys playing and playing poorly. And that is the impression, to reiterate the point from before, that is the impression that they will take away with them from this one. When their friends the next day were like, hey, how did Barcelona play last night? Oh, they were great, man. They were great. Oh, what about Inter Miami? Oh, they're terrible. They're terrible. They, 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 they didn't offer anything. They couldn't do it. That's, that's the perception now that some people have in their head of Inter-Miami. And Inter-Miami, to this point, like you said, Jose, has been a lot of talk, not a lot of walk. A lot of style, not a lot of substance. A lot of show and not a lot of go. So, this doesn't help them. This 6-0 loss, I think it's embarrassing, and I think it doesn't help them in the longer run. But, Primo, your thoughts. Was this an embarrassing result for Inter-Miami? I mean, you know, they were, def they were just beaten by the beat beaten by the better team and it and you know they made wholesale changes in the second half it was a bit embarrassing i guess but i mean you can't you can't discount the fact that barcelona were just on a different on a completely different level man just a completely different level and that's 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 the difference we know that is that's in in football terms about how good a team into miami are middling team in mls right now struggling to get into playoffs and the difference in quality between that and a team like barcelona who are going for the champions league and the domestic title, it's just they're just different different level really. So it can only be it would have been more embarrassing if 
they'd gone out in the Open Cup to a USL team or they were lost in Miami FC or something like that, 7 0. Then that's, that's <laughs> well, that's a pretty that's pretty extreme to lose, you know, an open cup game. Yeah, but something like that. I don't think they can't be too embarrassed about about losing six 0 to Bar- that that Barcelona team. They were they were excellent. It's just a complete on a So you you, you think the players in the locker room were like, all right, well, that is what it is. Like, I, I mean, as competitors, no, as competitors, yeah, yeah of course, yeah. Of course, they would have wanted to. And you could see DeAndre Yedlin's face during the press conference. Well, while, while Phil Neville was putting on, a, you know, a, a, a happy face or putting on a smile in front of the cameras, DeAndre Yedlin looked very stoic and, and, and bothered to be in the press conference room. Well, to Phil have Neville to also questions. said it was a positive that it only it was only six. So I mean, you know, but so maybe that gives you a night insight into just how he was seeing it by you know by the end of it, really. You know, so, it, it, so it's I, I more want... of a training exercise, if anything, like that in the end. So I want to I want to bring up that point. I want to talk about that point here as we as we start to round out the thoughts on this game. Because Phil Neville, and I quoted this is how I started the my column again on Miami Total Football Substack, which is Miami Football.substack.com. And Phil Neville said this quote in his opening postgame remarks. This was a small part of a larger comment, but I'll just give you this this piece of it. Quote, to keep it to 6-0 was probably a real positive for us, end quote. That, I can't, I, like, I was surprised he said that. I was surprised he said that. It was honest, because Barcelona could have scored more than 6, but I was like, man, that is, that is a damning remark. That is a damning remark, because you're saying that a positive for you, if that's your silver lining, that you didn't get blown out more than 6-0... to then man, you—that's how bad you were on the day. And Barcelona's great; they're elite. They have they have a roster that is x amount times more expensive than Inter Miami. All of that, but again, we've seen other teams that have a, a, a fraction of of the cost of their European opponents and other friendlies. We saw it Wednesday. We can run through a few of the results if you want. You've already touched on a couple. And those teams put up bigger fights. Orlando City put up a bigger fight. Minnesota United won its game, and. It, Again, these are preseason friendlies. There's a lot of abnormalities that go into the game between lineup wholesale changes that happen. And look, I, that's one of the things I will note, and I think context matters to to Jose, the, the point that we, we discussed on the pod in May. I just looked it up. It was in May. When I said that I didn't think the result matters because I thought after 25, 30 minutes, both teams, especially Inter-Miami, given its crowded, congested July schedule, I thought they would start making changes after 30 minutes, and then that just impacts the whole the whole flow of the game. Both teams stayed with the teams that they started with up until halftime. So that's a that's a decent sample size right there. That's a, that's a decent half of football. And Inter-Miami was down 3-0. Then the changes came in the second half, and Inter-Miami still lost another 3-0 in the second half. So I think context matters. I do think the result matters now as opposed to because of the context of how it came but anyway uh steve is that a silver lining that they only lost 6-0 i mean you know i think that as i said i think that the thing what deandre edlin said about they were exposed even more than they were normally against mls team gives you know gives them something to something to work with so um you know, yeah, it was a positive that and he kept it to six because anything more would have been even worse, I think. So, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I'm going to start calling you El Alcalde, the mayor, because, man, those these answers are, are very diplomatic. Very diplomatic. Okay. It's, but it's, uh, I, I would say that I think I thought Phil never looked a little bit crestfallen afterwards, a little bit sort of, 
you know, I think it was it was must have been a difficult experience being sort of coaching on the sidelines and you just get so sort of marmalized like that, really. So um, on Monday yeah. when he said, you know, he was talking he, and Phil Neville said this. Right. And again, maybe he overextended himself. Maybe he spoke a little too much in that regard or, or exaggerated a little bit. But he said when we came off the field on Saturday, we said, OK, let's go and beat Barcelona. And and he, he said those words, let's go and beat Barcelona. I think, again, he could have downplayed it in the pregame, been like, this is going to be a good run out for our younger players, you know, and this will be good for the fans, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't think he needed to go all out there and be like, we need to beat them. And this is the biggest game in club history because then they go out and lose 6-0. And what he thinks or what he said he thinks is the biggest game in the franchise's short history. So, Jose... What were your thoughts on that comment before we switch gears to a couple more things and round out this segment? Um, yeah, it got me by surprise, I, I must admit. Um, I, I didn't expect um, him to say that. I mean, you can recognize... My, my ears perked up. Did your ears perk up? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I might... I, I even made a face like, what? <laughs> I, I, I was yeah. trying to hold it, but same, I, I don't know same, if I same, was same. Uh, good at it. But yeah, no, I think... And listen, if Probably if he if you ask Phil right now, he, he's gonna regret probably saying that. I don't know, but um, yeah, I don't. I think it wasn't necessary. I think it wasn't necessary. I think he could have explained, you know, the situation that we all saw on the field. You know, Barcelona they were a better team, and and that's about it. We move on. But yeah, he said it, and um, and and yes, I guess we can put some sort of value into it because I I mean he's the coach. He was on the field and. He played at the highest level as well. So um, whenever Phil says something, I mean, we should listen. I mean, we can make our own evaluation of things, but we should listen um, because he, he has the experience. But uh, I thought he was unfortunate and, and unnecessary. You know, I, I got away from my point there when I when I just transitioned from Primo to you. The comment I liked was when he said in the pregame press conference on Monday – you can be in awe of a player and no, no, you can respect a player and you can be an or you can be in awe of a player. We can't be in awe of the players tomorrow. Something along those lines is what he said. And I like that because that was like, OK, we respect Barcelona. We know that they have a lot of quality, but we still know that they are. And he did say this, that they are still 11 human beings and that they still can have weaknesses. And that Inter Miami, I think, again, could have done better. This is just my opinion now. Take take away Phil Neville's pregame press conference remarks. I think Inter Miami could have done better. Now, two more things to talk about. And we will round out this segment by talking about positives to take away from this match, whether it's on the field or off the field. But there were two cameos in this game late, not late on. One came at halftime, the other one came late on. And they were Harvey Neville and Romeo Beckham. Two players for Inter-Miami 2. Now, when they come in, again, take away us, take away Inter-Miami fans that might follow the second team. When fans across the world see the owner's son and the coach's son coming into the game, there's going to be, understandably, I think, shouts of nepotism. And there was that during this game and after the game there was that perception we follow the team a lot closer we know that harvey neville and romeo beckham are regular starters for inter miami too 
Whether they're having good seasons or not, that's up for debate. But when you see Beckham and Neville take the field, is that nepotism, given that no other Inter-Miami 2 players played in this game? I will go back to Primo on this one to start. No, I mean you know they've they've been part of the they've been part of the system, haven't they? So I mean, it, it, it may look like that, but I mean, fair, I mean, if he wants to bring them on, he can bring them on. I guess they're part of the squad, aren't they? Both been playing pretty well from all accounts. <laughs> okay, Jose, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with Steve, and you know, I I think it's it's unfair, especially on Harvey's side because. Um, you know, there are things aside from, from the game that are preventing him uh, from being with the first team. So essentially, he's a first team player, but just can't get the papers through and everything so that he can play. So it's a little bit unfair with him. Um, and, and on Romeo, yeah, well, he played five minutes to start. You know, he played five minutes. Um, and um, And the one thing for me with Romeo is that you know, watching some of the other games, um, especially the uh, America Manchester City player, America played under 20 guys in the second half as well. So, I mean, if Romeo Beckham is part of the team, then why not is he eligible to play? I mean, it's, it, it, you know, I think it's it's a matter of who he is and and what, what, what the Beckham name brings. Uh, with it and so i i think they they earned a right to play i mean they're part of inter miami and 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 they play but i i do agree with you franco as well that you know it's it's about the perception you know you only read um in, in the paper you didn't read the full story you read the first paragraph and you and you take that take that home then you're gonna have a wrong perception about the how things are going in inter miami so uh, i i think there's there's not a big deal for for the people that follow the team and for us to cover the team regularly. So I guess I'm going to be the critical one, the annoying one. I do think that that is nepotism. I do think that, especially oh when it especially when it comes to Romeo Beckham. A little bit more, and maybe we saw Jorge Mas's son go into the field because there is no way for perception or for however you want to look at it that you put in the two sons that are related to two people in positions of power in in the, in the franchise in the organization. Like that's not they can't be the only Inter Miami two players that are playing well this season and that deserve a chance. They needed to put in. They had Borgelin on the bench. He should have came came on. They should have given an opportunity to more than just those two players. Because when you put in just those two players, absolutely, it sniffs of nepotism. One hundred. Percent. I agree with that 100%. And I know people might not like to hear that because they, again, they. I, I acknowledge, I've watched some of their games, I, I in Miami 2 games. I know that they're part of the team. I know that they're starting players on that team. But I wouldn't say that Romeo Beckham is one of the best players on Inter-Miami 2. I wouldn't say he's in the top two for him to be one of the only two to get the opportunity to play against Barcelona. There's other players. And look, I spoke to someone today. I spoke to someone today that's... That's, that's very well connected. And that person said, you think, this is what he said to me, and I agree with him fully. He said, you think that other players don't see that? You think that other players don't see that Romeo and Harvey are coming in when other players that are busting their butt or performing even better with Inter-Miami 2, they're not getting that opportunity? Like, that definitely 
impacts a locker room. Like, why does... Because, listen, soccer players, football players, in general, generally speaking, not every single one, but generally speaking, they tend to be uh, jealous. They tend to be jealous of... Of, well, why Frankly, is that, why is that, that guy playing? And in I, every single team, man. That oh, happens in every okay, single team. And even every more, okay, team. and even more so, Jose, even coaches more so when it's... favorites, whether they are related or not, coaches have favorites. Absolutely, Jose, absolutely. But imagine now it being the coach's son and the owner's son. You think that that doesn't impact players that are human beings. You don't think that impacts them when they see that on the bench, whether it's an Inter-Miami 2 player or even an Inter-Miami uh, veteran on the first team. You don't think that they see that and they're like, hmm... Well, so I, I know why. Him, I know why he's getting in. You're tem- you're telling me that Romeo should have should have gotten an opportunity to play only if the f- other MLS Next Pro players were already on the field, because I mean, come on, it's not based on based on, based on what, what? Okay, based on what does Romeo deserve to be on that field? Based on what? Well, he plays. Score, he, he, for me. Score, score okay, for he has. He has. So I'll give you his stats. He's got third. He's got fourteen games played. Thirteen games started. He has one goal and seven assists. Seven assists is a pretty a pretty good number, but that doesn't actually just tell you the whole play. I've watched Romeo Beckham play this year. I have. I don't know if you guys have. I have, and I have never been. I've never come away from a game watching him. I haven't watched every single game. I'll say that full disclosure. I haven't watched every single game, but I've never come away being like, wow, how good was he today from the run of play? And if you want to go and dive into a stat, his season passing percentage, and he's an attacking player, is 62.4%. That's his passing completion rate. So he can whip in a good long ball. He can whip in a good long ball. Listen, my point is that I think there are other players on the second team that are just as, if not more deserving than Romeo Beckham. And that's just my opinion. And Harvey Neville, he probably has more of a of a shout to be in that Barcelona game. And we know that Phil Neville and Inter Miami are close to signing him to a first team deal as soon as he gets his his uh, his green card, um, so that he can be eligible to play without taking up an international slot. But even Harvey Neville's arrival into the Inter Miami fold back in 2021, even that had like dust or sprinkles of nepotism in it. He started training with the team out of nowhere. He was playing center midfield. He played in the preseason game. The one player that wasn't uh, on, on, on the roster that was playing there, that was not even on the second team, and, and, and he was able to play. But anyway. I mean, that was wrong. Harvey, Harvey, I mean, we saw he had a very good preseason. He had a very good preseason. Listen, if the, if the whole Noah Allen situation. Um, You're talking about this Noah- year or you're talking about last year? Uh, Jose. No, this year, this year. Okay, but uh, I'm going back to last year, Jose, when he first arrived. Because when he first arrived, right, when Phil Neville was the head coach and he was brought on board, they had a they had a scrimmage, right, and uh, a scrimmage that was open to the media. I can't recall if it was open to some fans. I think it might have been open to some fans, but not all. Anyway, they played the first, like, Inter-Miami starting team versus Inter-Miami's reserves. Not the second team. We're not talking about Inter-Miami 2. It was Inter-Miami's starting group of the first team against the substitutes of the first team and Harvey Neville was the one player that wasn't rostered that was in that game and he started and he played in the mid central midfield for uh for the substitute team he wasn't under contract he was just there training why was he there training why did he get the opportunity to be part of that game as opposed to somebody else that's on Inter Miami too so there's definitely this definitely has this definitely reeks of nepotism a hundred percent a hundred percent a hundred percent I think it's unfair to the players. I think it's unfair to the players. I think, especially Harvey, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen Harvey perform, you know, 
I thought Harvey deserved a spot on the roster before Noah Allen, but we already know why um, he didn't take the spot as a left back before Noah Allen did. But I think Harvey, you know, if you talk about nepotism, maybe try to set both players apart because I think Harvey, I think he has done enough to deserve a spot. So it's unfair to put him inside or under that cloud of nepotism when he earned a spot on the field. So uh, Romeo, I mean, you can go through so many things with him. It's it's maybe even a bigger game, bigger name globally, but I still believe if he's a starter with MLS Next Pro and forget about the stats, but if he's a starter or regular starter, it's the same for every single player. So uh, I don't know. I would disagree with that. Okay. Well, we will leave it there for that. Quick, give me just a positive from this game so that we end on a positive note. We'll start with Primo. Give me one positive, a quick positive. Yeah, just think coming up against that level of opposition just shows them how far they've got to come and, and what they've got to aspire to. I mean, you know, that was seeing someone like Sergio Busquets, one of the best midfielders in the world, spraying the ball around, keeping it. That's what they need to. That's what they need to do. Jose, you gave me Bryce Duke. You thought he had a good performance or yeah. the best of the bunch, but give me one more positive from this game. Well, quickly, one more quickly, yeah, quickly. Don't don't drag it out. I I had Bryce Duke as my. I think that's the only positive for me, honestly. Okay. I mean, that's the only positive because uh, I I again I thought he 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 reacted in a in a way that was different from the rest of the players. Maybe Gregory, right? I think he showed some personality in the middle at times. Um, he had the one shot. So yeah, right. there you go. <laughs> There's the positive for me. The one shot from Gregory. For me, the positive was. Pozuelo. I thought Pozuelo was the only player on Inter Miami's entire team, the, the entire lineup, two lineups that were used, that could maybe hang with Barcelona. And yes, he's Spanish, so okay. But I mean, from a technical standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, and from a physical standpoint, I think he checked off the boxes from what I saw that he could he could play there. Bryce Duke, I thought he was involved and he tried tried to make things happen, especially you know, on the defensive side. He was very engaged, but I don't think he was that sharp. I thought Pozuelo was the one that looked like he could belong on the same field to some extent. I don't think anybody else really, really, uh, really held up in in all regards. And you know, Damian Lowe had a, had a very very rough um, moment there in the second half where he got spun by Memphis Depay. He, he bit on a on a fake, but. Again, I just—it's it, not to single out Damian Lowe. Just there's—I don't think any player aside from maybe Pozuelo uh, could could stand to to really be on the same field as as those Barcelona players. But anyway, we will leave it there because we've gone on for a good bit. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we will preview the game against New York City FC while also quickly recapping the match against Charlotte FC. And I thought it was—I thought it was a brilliant learning experience for us all. Uh, it was difficult. We had to dig in. We had to fight. We had to accept that they were going to have a lot of possession of the ball, and 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 really to keep it to six nil was probably, uh, you know, a real positive for us. So uh, we go again Saturday. New York City now is, is our most important game. But tonight was a brilliant experience for the whole of the football club, and it's a great learning experience for everyone in the team. And uh, everyone got onto the pitch that we wanted to, got valuable experience, and they will have learnt an awful lot. Okay, guys, let's quickly recap the weekend 
win for Inter-Miami against the expansion side Charlotte FC. Inter-Miami had to come from behind after going down 2-0 in the first half to win this one. Jordi Reyna scored. Yes, he's Peruvian international, I have to note. He scored a brace, scoring in the 28th second and in the 42nd minute. But Robert Taylor brings Inter-Miami back into it with a goal in the 59th minute. Gonzalo Higuain comes off the bench to score in the 72nd. And then, fellow substitute, Emerson Rodriguez scores in the 93rd minute. In stoppage time, deep into stoppage time, to give Inter-Miami the late dramatic victory. This was the starting lineup Inter-Miami went with. Drake Callender in goal. Your back four were DeAndre Edlin, Damian Lowe, Ryan Saylor, Christopher McVeigh. The two midfielders that comprised that first line were Gregory and Gene Mota. The second line of the midfield was Robert Taylor, Alejandro Pozuelo, who was making his official Inter-Miami debut, and Indiana Vasilev. Up top, you had Leonardo Campana. So, let's just go into some of the talking points. Because diving into the game, when it, we're, we're already one more game removed from it. Let's just go into some of the talking points. Gonzalo Higuain scores again for the second straight match. I think he puts himself into the conversation again to potentially start. I don't know if I would start him, but I think he's in the conversation again, given that Campana has cooled off. Jose, your thoughts? I think it was an important three points to start because, you know, if we we go back a little bit... um, and 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 we look back at the schedule for Inter Miami. We knew that July uh, was an important month for them. And uh, out of uh, back-to-back games at home, if you ended up with one out of six points, then you're in trouble, without a doubt. So it was important for them to get the three points. Um, it, it was also, I think, you know, that um, confidence booster in terms of playing at home. I think against MLS opposition, Inter-Miami is doing really well at home. They just need to find a way to win on the road uh, to make it to the playoffs, which, again, I don't think it will happen. But um, in terms of Iwain, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do agree with Phil that, you know, when once he gets on a run, then he might be able to score consistently. But there's one thing, Franco, and, and I hate to go back to the Barcelona game, but... Uh, and, I, and I'm sure I'm sure you you recognize this as well. Um, once Iguain tried to help, knowing that Inter Miami didn't have the ball, he started to move back again. You know, to the old Iguain where he wanted to be the number ten. Now Pozuelo there. Now you now Inter Miami they do have Pozuelo, so I know he wants to help. But if he still believes the the way to go for him in Inter Miami as a starter is to come down the field and try to get touches in the middle and not finish inside the box, I don't think there's a way it's going to work out for Inter-Miami. And so I was a little bit worried when I saw that, but I'm assuming it's because Inter-Miami didn't have the ball and you were facing Barcelona. Against MLS opposition, you need to trust Pozuelo in the middle, and if you're a Wayne, stay inside the box, and then you have a chance to play an impact in the game. So, I, I want to touch on something that you just touched on there with Pozuelo. Because this was his official, again, this, to reiterate, this was his official debut, his first game with the team. And he started, despite not having 
that many training sessions with with the group. The reason why I think he stood out to me against Barcelona is because again, physical, physically, technically, and tactically, he checks the boxes. And I think you saw that in the game against Charlotte as as well because El fútbol no se juega con los pies. El fútbol se juega con la cabeza. Soccer is not played with the feet. Soccer is played with your head. That is where the 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 difference in players comes from. The decision making, the ability to read the game. I think that's why Barcelona is, you know, you can see the difference that they're miles better. It's not just because of their technical conditions or their physical conditions. just because they could read the game at a much faster and a much sharper level than Inter Miami. And I think Pozuelo was able to match that in in moments when against Barcelona in the friendly on Tuesday. As for the Charlotte game, I think we saw some of that as well because his ability to not only use his technical skills to get out of tight spots when he was dribbling by players or uh, but it was also his ability to read the game, hit the right pass. He wasn't flawless. It wasn't like oh, he had a a wonderful 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 game. But for a first start and a first match with Inter Miami, I thought it was a good, a good performance, and I think his ability to read is going to really to read the game is going to really help Inter Miami going forward, especially if he can build on this first match against Charlotte FC. So, as for Iguain, I don't th- again I reiterate I don't think he should start. I think he did drop back in against Barcelona because the whole team, all of Inter Miami dropped back and, and I took a picture of it at one point in the first half and at one point in the second half. All 11 players of Inter Miami were in their own defensive half while all 10 field players of Barcelona were in the same half. The only player on the other half of the field was uh, Barcelona goalkeeper, whether it was Mark Ter Stegen um, in the first half uh, uh, and I'm blanking on who came in in, in the second half. But regardless... Iguain, I wouldn't put him back in the starting lineup, but he may have to come back in this weekend. And that's because, as I reported on Miami Total Football Substack on Tuesday night after the game, Leonardo Campana is dealing with a right knee injury. Now, he did not dress for the game against Barcelona. He missed it completely. Images came out of him afterwards wearing a knee brace on that right knee. We asked Phil Neville today, Thursday, about Leonardo Campana's status for Saturday against New York City FC. Phil Neville tried to downplay it, tried to say it was some, it was, you know, it's just not, it's a slight thing. But eventually, again, because I think Phil Neville always leaves you with something, you know, he's, he's a great talker. He said that he mentioned an MCL. So that's a ligament, which would explain the brace. Inter Miami's hopeful that Campana can train some on Friday. Whether he does or not, we don't know as of today, but I would have to venture, or I would venture to guess that Campana does not play this weekend. Even if he trains on Friday, I don't think he can play on Saturday, especially if it's an MCL injury. So what does that leave Inter Miami with? Well, that leaves Gonzalo Higuain as the starting striker option. And I think we will see Gonzalo Higuain start this weekend, not because of form, but rather by choice, because Inter Miami, they're down numbers. They still have Ariel Lasseter injured. We saw him today on the training field doing individual work with a physio. So still seems like he's still uh, at least another week away. He won't play this weekend. Phil Noah ruled him out. 
Uh, Breck Shea is well, he's not an attacking option, but he's also nursing an injury. Robbie Robinson's not not available because of his long term injury. So Inter Miami is down some bodies right now in the attack. Gonzalo Higuain I fully expect to start this weekend. And look, he has scored in the last two games off the bench. This goal that he scored against Charlotte was a a great finish. Another great finish wasn't as impressive as the one from the previous game against Philadelphia. But the way he controlled it, the way he made the diagonal run, the way he was able to control it, and then in a quick, very um, sudden movement, able to, to to get the shot off and hit it to the far post, it was an impressive, impressive goal. So I think he will start on Saturday. Give Gregory uh, credit as well. Gregory, yeah. I, hey, I interviewed Gregory after the game. I was the only one that interviewed Gregory after the game because he actually got two assists. MLS credited him for... The throw-in that led to Robert Taylor's uh-huh. individual effort, which I, I know you hate. I knew you would sigh. Um, I agree. I don't think. Gregory was even like, hey, it was a throw-in. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. I'm like, oh, well, technically by MLS rules, it counts. So, um, you know, he I jokingly said to him, I was like, Pozuelo arrives, and then you start pulling the strings like a number 10 with two assists. We're going to have to start uh, having uh, debates about who the real number 10 on this roster is. Uh, he, he, he got a laugh about it. He's like, no way, no way. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's switch gears. We talked about Iguain. We talked about Pozuelo. Let's talk about, quickly, two more players. Then we'll switch gears to NYCFC uh, more concretely. Damian Lowe. Damian Lowe. He had another rough outing in this one. He was subbed off at halftime. Phil Neville said it was because Damian Lowe has a yellow card. This is my opinion, my sensation. This is not information. But I think Damian Lowe is playing with low confidence right now. It's just what I what I perceive from my seat in the press box and from uh, watching the games back on TV. Because let's go back to the game against Orlando where he scores the own goal in stoppage time and Inter Miami loses that game. You saw his head sink. If you if you go back and you can remember the images on TV, you saw his head sink immediately, right? Like sometimes you see a player shout in frustration, you know, they get they get upset, they're angry. Damian Lowe's head sunk. Like he was very disappointed. When the full-time whistle blew a couple minutes later, his head sunk again and the and the camera went panned back to him and he looked very much the same with his head down. It looked like he was pretty distraught with the fact that he had scored an own goal which was unlucky, but it happened. After the game, Phil Neville said that he was devastated. I think devastated was the word he used. The game that followed, Damian Lowe got beat to a header by Corey Burke against the Philadelphia Union, and that cost that, that proved to be the game-winning goal. On a play that you would not normally expect Damian Lowe to, to get beat to an, to an aerial ball. And then in this game against, uh, against Charlotte, Picks up another yellow card with a hard foul, a hard foul, um, and and obviously he gets pulled at halftime there. And Phil Neville said afterwards he didn't want to risk Damian Lowe getting a red card, so that's why he pulled him. He pulled him out at halftime. Then against Barcelona, he obviously has that moment that I mentioned before in the last segment with Memphis Depay. Um, so I think right now, and you could take that Barcelona play out of it because I don't I don't think that that falls into this this analysis i think that's just a, a moment of magic from a very talented striker against um a center back that just bit on it but i think if you analyze the other three games or the other three appearances i think he is playing with low confidence i think that goal that own goal against orlando city has really impacted him and then i'll add this anecdote after the game against charlotte inter miami won obviously in good spirits 
he was one of the first players I saw walk out of the locker room. Now, maybe that's because he was already showered. Maybe that's because he had somewhere to be or a jersey to give to, to a relative. I don't know. That I don't know. But he was one of the first people I saw, well before the players started coming out of the locker room, by and large. He was he was one of the first players I saw come out, and he wasn't all that smiling. He, he didn't look all that happy. So that's just an anecdote. That's just I can share that from, from being in the bowels of Drive Pink Stadium, but I think he's playing with low confidence. I don't know if you share that opinion after the own goal against Orlando City. Um, well, you know, he's an experienced player. He's an experienced player, so I think he can handle a known goal. But um, if that's the case, I, I wouldn't point directly to a known goal. I would point out maybe to... Um, you know, his own assessment of, of how he's doing right now. Maybe he's playing with an injury as well. You never know. But what I do know for sure is that, you know, he needs to turn things around quickly because um, he's probably the top defender in the roster. And um, Inter-Miami cannot, cannot allow the, um, Damian Lowe to play low in confidence or to play at a low level. Um, for the for the next forget about it for the next for the regular season it, it's about the next month or so um, it, it's it's a tough stretch right now for the team in terms of the schedule and um, it, it's going to be very important if if they want to keep that fight going in terms of the playoffs so you don't think he's low on confidence you you wouldn't chalk it up to that no I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't I wouldn't say that as of yet but you know maybe you're right. I, I would I th- listen again. I think it is because the Orlando game. He was having a good game. I thought he was one of the better players for Inter Miami in that game in the Sunshine Classico. Then the own goal comes, and again, the image to me and and for me it's in the details. The details are important. I've said that to people. You know, I say that to people in person. I'll say it on the show. To me, details are important. And his reaction to the own goal, understandable, understandable to be upset about it. But I didn't see uh, anger. I just saw disappointment extreme disappointment which again is understandable but then you know phil noble says he's devastated and then he starts and then you see damien low in the next few games start struggling in areas where you don't necessarily see him struggling and that's where i think and then he gets pulled at, at halftime of of the charlotte game i think that those are signs that that he's playing with low confidence and because phil noble you know when he pulled damien low at halftime he had to reorganize his back line and at that point he put Christopher McVeigh, who hasn't been playing center back. He kept Ryan Saylor in there with Christopher McVeigh centrally, and Kieran Gibbs was brought out to the left flank. He had done stayed there on the right. So, I, I do think I do think that's I will ask Phil Noble that next week about about Lowe's confidence if it's if it's taking a hit. It would be understandable if it did. I mean, again, he's a veteran player, but they're still human beings. Even very experienced players that play at the highest levels, like Barcelona or whatever, you know, they take dips in confidence at times. So. Last player to touch on from this one is Emerson Rodriguez. He gets his long-awaited first goal at last. And it was a bit fortuitous. He got a, a deflected pass in and finished it off of a deflected shot. But, hey, he gets it. It's his first goal. It gives Inter Miami three points after the game. He was pretty happy, but he he wasn't as extensive in his post-game interview. I thought he would be uh, very happy to talk, but it looked like he just wanted to get out of there. He was definitely smiling a lot, but it looked like he wanted to just get out of the locker room and, and maybe go enjoy it a little bit at home or, or wherever. I asked him how what it would do for his confidence. He said, you know, it will help because he's worked a very, very hard, long time for that. 
He said he, he believes it'll be the first of many to come. So just your thoughts on Emerson Rodriguez finally delivering and coming through in a moment for Inter Miami after struggling for much of this year. Well, I think it's important for him, obviously, to get that goal. Although, I I don't know. I, I like Emerson. I like I like him a lot. But I mean, the goal. It's I think it's fifty percent maybe on on Macoon, right? Trying to clear the ball away. Right. <laughs> I mean, he was right there. I don't want to be overly critical of the situation, but uh, I mean, he he made the effort, so he deserves credit for the goal. But um, I think you know minutes goals. Are always uh, confidence boosters, and hopefully that's the case for Emerson, who, by the way, could become an option as a number nine for Phil, and especially playing on the road. He could become an option. Maybe that's something that we'll see this weekend, because I doubt it that Iwain can play the full 90 minutes. So even if Iwain starts, and with Ari Lassiter out of the picture as well, then maybe Emerson Rodriguez, you know, counterattack situation, long ball, Maybe he can he can take advantage of that opportunity. Well, given that you said that, you have to know when Inter Miami made the changes in the second half, they made healthy and heavy lineup changes. Emerson Rodriguez played as the nine in the front three. Inter Miami switched to a five-two-three formation, and it was Emerson uh, as the as the number nine or playing occupying the striker position. So probably a good shout. Probably a good shout because Inter Miami can take a a Inter Miami two player on the trip, whether it's Borgelin or whether it's uh, Hundal, they could take one of them on loan. Um, but obviously, though, you know, I imagine Full Neville would probably turn to Emerson Rodriguez first, given that he's already on the first team, even though it's not his natural position. Okay, Jose, quickly to preview this weekend's game against New York City FC. With that win, Inter Miami moved up to ninth place. They moved up to ninth place. They have a they have seven wins, nine losses, and four draws. Twenty five points. They are two points shy of the seventh place spot that is currently held by FC Cincinnati in the Eastern Conference standings. New York City FC is in second place of the East. Thirty eight points, an eleven win, four loss, and five draw record. Now, before we get into any of it, we have to talk about the field because. Yankee Stadium, I don't, I'm not sure if you've ever covered a game there. I did multiple times, dozens of times during my time uh, living in the Northeast, living in New York City. And it is, an, first of all, if you have never seen a game, if you're an Inter-Miami fan listening to this, if you've never seen a game at Yankee Stadium, like on TV for soccer, it's awful. It's awful. The sight lines are terrible. It's a baseball stadium. You're playing soccer inside a baseball pitch. It's some part of the mound is it overlaps with the soccer field, and it's not great. So normally, Inter Miami would have already played New York City FC at Yankee Stadium, but because of the pandemic and New York City FC was playing at Red Bull Arena, it has never come to pass. It will this weekend. The field is very narrow, given the dimensions of of Yankee Stadium's baseball field and how they could organize it and rearrange it to make it soccer field. The field is very narrow. There's practically no flanks. There's practically no wings for your wingers to play through. And that will impact Inter Miami because, as we know, they're a team that likes to attack the wings and bring in crosses for the striker. Now, it helps 100%, I think, that they have Alejandro Pozuelo, someone who can give them something a little bit more centrally. But not having that wing, not having those wings <clears throat> or the ability or the space to use those wings as much. That's something Inter Miami is going to adjust for. I asked Phil Neville that today at, at practice or after practice. 
and he alluded to the fact that they will probably have to adapt. And he didn't go into full detail as to what that means, but maybe we will see a different style of play or a different approach from Inter Miami in terms of how they they go about trying to beat the second place team in the Eastern Conference. Jose, how do you think Inter Miami can go about that? Oh man, it's it's a tough game. It's it's gonna be really really tough for Inter Miami. I'm not very positive about this one. Um, I think you know uh, field condition conditions and the dimensions. I think might be something that could benefit Inter Miami if they're able to hold on to a draw by the 75th minute. Usually, you know, coaches like it in the sense that you can play defense. And if you're organized, then there's not a lot of room for the team that's needing a goal. But if Inter Miami concedes early, uh, they're going to have to open up and it's it's not going to be good. So I think that could be the key. Right, stay consistently consistent defensively, and maybe that's the way to go. Right, I think if you come out of Yankee Stadium with a point, I think they'll be good. Although it's not going to be easy. I mean, if you look at the stats for New York City, 39 goals scored, leading the way in the East, only 21 allowed. Um, and if you compare that to Inter Miami, it's exactly the other way around. Almost only 22 goals scored and 31 allowed. So. Uh, I mean, stats are not an Inter Miami side, and um, and I don't know how's the Tati Castellano situation as well. This could be his last game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, with, he was with, supposed to. It looked it, like his last game was going to be last weekend against the Red Bulls, and it, and yeah, it looked like he wasn't going to be uh, available to play in this one before he he transfers to Europe. But now it looks like he will play in this weekend game. And, and Phil Neville jokingly said today, Phil Neville jokingly said today that you know he hopes the transfer goes through before Saturday. But obviously, <laughs> if 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 he's on the field, you know it's a big plus, a big boost for New York City FC because he's been one of the most lethal goal scorers for the past season uh, and and change so the last two seasons almost. And obviously, he helped them New York City FC win an MLS Cup last year. So. Yeah, it's, that's going to be a challenge, especially for the new center back tandem that we are likely to see as far as Inter Miami goes. Because again, Damian Lowe, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, I, I think I did. If I didn't, I wanted to. Damian Lowe is suspended for this game due to yellow card accumulation. He is not the only one. Bryce Duke is as well. So those two players, they will be out. And that likely means that we'll see either McVeigh and Saylor in the middle in my opinion, or we'll see that back five. And, you know, even though there's not a lot of space on the wings, I think that the back five could help limit the spaces in behind for New York City FC, and, and Inter Miami will look to just grind, grind out uh, uh, at least a point, at least a point. And, and just to add this detail as well, Inter Miami has trained this week, and, or started to on Thursday, actually, they started training on a smaller field, or they they put cones to make their regular practice fields, uh, you know, appear smaller, or to to you know designate where the the, the flanks will be. Obviously, assistant coach Jason Kreis for Inter Miami, he coached New York City FC during their expansion season, so he's very familiar with that field. Chris Henderson will have been will be as well, so they they'll share some of that feedback and have I'm sure already shared some of that feedback to Phil Neville who I will also add did not sound too happy he was very 
diplomatic as in Primo was earlier on this pod, but it was pretty clear that he's not too happy about playing on a baseball field. Like it, it, it definitely rubs him the wrong way, as it rubs many coaches in MLS the wrong way. Um, Phil Neville was a little bit more honest about about the, the assessment of having to play on that field maybe than other MLS coaches are, which I appreciated because it's the truth. I mean, again, I've been there to, 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 to watch games and cover games. You know, even from a fan's perspective, not great, not great. So if you're an Inter Miami fan going to the Big Apple, um, you know, enjoy it. But obviously the sight lines will be something that your eyes and your your mind's going to have to get adjusted to. So imagine players, imagine players and coaches on the field, you know, having to having to, to readjust and, and figure it out. Because the field's on a slant too. It's not like it's, you know, straight across. It's on a slant. It's, it's a whole mess. It's a whole mess. But um, nonetheless... And that's what Inter Miami is faced up against this weekend. Last thing to touch on, Jose, very quickly. Obviously, in this last game against Charlotte FC, Inter Miami started started off slowly yet again. They gave up a goal in 28 seconds, the fastest goal Inter Miami's ever given up in its short history. And despite playing some very good soccer, something we didn't touch on or that we should have touched on and, and we did it. They played very good soccer, and despite not despite creating some good looks, they weren't able to find the back of the net in the first half, and that led to a talking to from Phil Neville to the team. They responded in the second half with three goals. So for Inter Miami, being clinical is key. What do you think Inter Miami has to do to at least get a point? You touched on it earlier, but at least to get a point from this match. No, I think you know they they have to stay well organized. They have they have to recognize that. Yeah, it's it's not Barcelona anymore, right? So they they have to compete as well. Uh, it's a, it's a different scenario, but you know you have to realize they are one of the top teams in the league, and uh, you want to get some of that momentum back that you had after the Charlotte game, which is something that you know you put a lot of value into, especially when you have a tight schedule. So um, losing against Barcelona, it's good to recover as well. So it's going to be important for them to stay well-organized defensively and try to at least get a point, come out with a positive sign out of the game and then continue your regular season and, and, and do not let that the Barcelona result affect you more than, more than it's, it's a friendly and it's bad for the brand and all the things that we have already mentioned, but don't let it affect any more in the regular season play. Yeah, I think being defensively sound is, is the key for them in this one. I think... Getting a draw would be uh, would be very valuable if they can get it. Obviously, three would be incredible. But if you can get a draw against New York City FC, one of the top teams in the East, I think you you take that. I think if you could offer that to Phil Neville right now, he would sign on the dotted line. Uh, he did say today that their away form for the rest of the season will likely determine whether they make it the playoffs or not. And Inter Miami does play out of their next four, three away from home. So important stretch coming up for Inter Miami. Let's leave it there, Jose. We'll come back very quickly for a Q&A. Final thoughts and we'll wrap up the show after that. Guys, very quickly, just going to do one question for the Q&A because 
We've gone long. We've talked about a lot of different things on this pod. So the question comes from Preki Lives. Considering the lopsided result, would you consider the Barcelona friendly a good thing for Inter Miami or something they regret? So we've talked about this in detail, but I do like the the second part of that question. Do you think, Jose, it's something Inter Miami regrets? Because we didn't necessarily answer that question. Ah, that's a it's a it's a very good question. <laughs> it's a very good question because you know there are so many things involved, right? And when you think about Inter Miami as a whole, then obviously marketing, you know, you know some money came in, I'm sure. Um, so that's that's good, and and because of that, I don't think they will regret it. But in terms of what we like to talk about, which is you know football on the field stuff. I think, yeah, it was not good. But I don't think in the end, as a whole, if you put everything together, I think money is going to be a very important part of the equation and they would not regret it. I will agree with you that I don't think, by and large, the organization, the franchise, the club will regret it, though I do think that's misguided. Because, look, if you want money, if you want to make money, then obviously there's rules and stuff in MLS, but put out a winning product. Winning games... And in MLS, winning trophies, you know, being competitive there, that's what's going to get you more money in the long haul. That's just what I think. You know, obviously in the short term against Barcelona, you might have gotten some coin from people that, that went to the game or people that saw the game and whatever deals you worked out contractually to to air and broadcast the match. But obviously, you know, I think if you prioritize the sporting side, then obviously the economic side, of course, will also take care of itself or it will accompany the results on the field. So I agree. I don't think they'll regret it, uh, even though I don't think that that's, you know, I think that the focus should be more on the sporting side than the than the business side. But anyway, all right, let's leave it there for the Q&A session. Jose, your final thoughts. I'll give mine and then we'll be done with the show after that. Uh, well, my final thought is on something that I mentioned before. I, everybody knows I'm Honduran, so Friday night is La Noche Catracha in Hialeah, so I'll be there for the Miami United Olympia friendly match. I'll get to work that game, but obviously as well to enjoy a lot of stuff going on. So if you're a soccer fan and if you're Honduran and you want to go enjoy um, the Honduran Heritage Night, which, by the way, Inter Miami needs to do something about it as well. Because a lot of endurance go to to Dry Pink Stadium, uh, so yeah, that's my final thought on um, just enjoying a nice Friday night. Before it's not even a, an Inter Miami game night, so everybody can go out and enjoy in in Mylander Park. By the way, if I, I, it's been it's been a while since we have had a big big game in Mylander Park, so it, it's a good opportunity. Does this count as a big big game? <laughs> Of course, for Miami, it's a big game. It's an international friendly. Okay. This is the biggest game in their club history? <laughs> nah, no, because before. Uh, oh, okay. That, that, that's it. That's it. Okay. My final thought is on something that we saw earlier today at training, and that's that Matias Pellegrini is back in town with Inter Miami. He was in the team's gear. He took part in the training session with the first team. Now, very quickly, I will just clarify he is not eligible to play for inter miami he's only here training to keep himself sh- as sharp and as fit as possible while his future gets sorted out there's talks about potential loan to real saragossa which jorge mas now uh is is an owner of uh 
Jairo Quinteros is also been has also been linked with the move there. Wouldn't be surprised if that ends up coming to to fruition because Quinteros also played just like five minutes against Barcelona, showing how deep down the depth chart he is. But anyway, back to Pellegrini. He's back in South Florida by MLS rules because he was bought out last year. He's not eligible to play for the first team again. He'd have to be sold and then either return on a free or bought back again. So he cannot play for the first team. Don't expect to see him this weekend or at any point this season. But yes, Pellegrini, one of the first two signings in the club's history, is back in South Florida. So that does it for this week's show. We talked quite a bit, so thank you very much for sticking through and listening. For Steve El Primo Brenner, for Jose Armando, a.k.a. Island Jose, I am Franco Penizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football.